Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Greetings also to those who are watching or listening online. Glad we can all be together today in this way. I want to let you know we're going to try something different today after the message. We have this radical new idea where we are going to sing a song after the message. You never know. It might work really well. I just wanted you to know that's coming. I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to pray, and then the praise team is going to come back up and lead us in one final song to close out our gathering. If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. I'm closing out the summer with a series of messages in which I'm interacting with our congregation's mission, vision, and values. And today, I want us to wrestle with our core value of love first. And I say wrestle because when we put love first, as we respond to any number of pressing needs, problems, questions, ethical dilemmas, Love can get complicated and messy in a hurry. In fact, before we can even wrestle with what it means to put love first, we first have to define what we mean by love. Because there are a lot of bad or incomplete definitions of love out there. For some, love is a transaction. You get what you give, you give what you get. I'll treat you the way you treat me. You love me. I'll love you. Or we think about love as something we have to earn by being good or successful or morally pure. For some, love is agreement. If you love me, you'll agree with me. You'll agree with my beliefs, my opinions, my actions. Or we think of it as I can only love those who agree with me on everything I believe to be important. And the longer your list of things that are important, the less people you get to love. Some see love as permission. If you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want. And you will not challenge or critique or condemn me. Rather than accepting and living with those bad definitions of love, I propose we let God define love for us. Because after all, as John says in 1 John 4, and as we all just saying, God is love, 1 John 4, verse 8. Now we have to be careful at this point, because it's easy for us to take this idea that God is love and combine it with our bad definitions of love and project our bad definitions of love onto God. We read in scripture that God, 
we think we know what love is already, and then we try to force God to conform to our pre-existing understandings of love. And so it's easy to make God's love transactional. God only loves us when we do the right religious things. Or because God is love, we assume God agrees with everything we say or do. Because a loving God would never challenge us. God is a permissive pushover. Because a loving God would never tell us no or never limit our options. A loving God exists to give us everything we want and let us do whatever we want, no matter what. But rather than applying those bad definitions to God, who is love, what if instead we start with God? And we let what God does define and deepen our understanding of what love is and what love looks like, especially what we see God doing in and through Jesus Christ. This is how John tells us to know what love looks like. He continues in 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. God is love. Now, how does he show it? He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus defines love for us. And what Jesus shows us in his ministry, in his life, death, and resurrection, is that God's love is multifaceted. And we see three main facets of God's love emerge in Jesus's ministry. These three facets help us also see why we have to put love first if we're going to follow Jesus, but also why it can be such a challenge to do so. The first facet of God's love we see in Jesus is grace. Grace. It's an undeserved free gift. There is nothing we can do to earn God's grace. God moves toward us in Jesus to forgive us long before we ever repent of our sins or ask for forgiveness. That's grace. The second facet of God's love revealed in Jesus is truth. God's love as truth-telling is shining a light into the darkness so that we see things as they really are. Jesus reveals God's love as truth-telling by having challenging or difficult conversations with other people because of their benefit or for their benefit. And then the third facet of God's love revealed in Jesus is justice. God's justice is much more than just God punishing wrongdoers. God's justice is God coming to the aid of the oppressed. It's God speaking up and intervening on behalf of the vulnerable. It's God showing compassion to the poor and the exploited. God's justice is God repairing those broken systems and structures in our world that allow the weak to be victimized. God's justice is God making right what has gone wrong in our world. And 
we see all three of these facets of God's love come together in one of the most familiar and beloved stories about Jesus in the New Testament. It's in John chapter 8, and let's begin reading in verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The Pharisees, or the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. First, we see in this story God's love as justice. Take these out of order. We see God's love as justice in the way Jesus refuses to let the religious leaders use the woman as a prop to get him in trouble. They do not care about her. They are using her as a trap. They do not view her as a person. She is a controversial issue to be discussed and then discarded as soon as they get an incriminating response from Jesus. And he refuses to play their game and instead turns their hypocrisy back on them. And where, by the way, is the man with whom she was committing adultery with? Throughout his ministry, Jesus is quick to come to the defense of those who are being exploited or taken advantage of by those in power. Pay attention in the Gospels to what makes Jesus mad. And you will begin to see God's love as justice in action. When Jesus gets mad at the religious leaders who use the law or their traditions around the law as an excuse to not do good and help others in need, or when Jesus gets mad and overturns the tables of those in the temple courts who are exploiting the poor pilgrims who come all the way to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice and then find themselves overcharged. He's expressing God's love as justice. We also see in the story God's love as grace. 
And Jesus does not condemn the woman for her sin. And with another hint of justice, he frames the situation so no one else can condemn her either. This is Jesus' typical response to sinners throughout his ministry. He welcomes them. He accepts them. He embraces them. He eats with them. And he forgives them. Not because they repent, not because they do anything to earn or deserve mercy or forgiveness, but because God, who is love, loves to forgive sins and show mercy to sinners. And then, of course, we also see God's love as truth in this story when Jesus tells the woman after he's shown her mercy, now go Leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't forgive her because she repents. But he calls her to repent, to change her way of life in response to being forgiven. Jesus is full of grace and mercy. And, not but, they're not opposites, and he speaks the truth. We see another example of this in Mark chapter 10, when a rich young man comes to Jesus and asks him, sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, keep the commands. And this young man proudly says, I have kept the commands since I was a boy. And in Mark 10 verse 21, we read that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. This rich, prideful, self-righteous young man, he loved him. And because Jesus loved him, he tells him the truth about what he must do to break his idolatrous attachment to his possessions. We also see these three facets of God's love come together in the cross. From the cross, Jesus reveals God's grace when he dies for the sins of the world. And then as he's dying, asks his father to forgive those who are crucifying him because they don't know what they're doing. Paul says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, while we were still set against God, Christ died for us. That's grace from the cross. But we also see God's love as truth from the cross because from the truth, Jesus shines a light on the ugliness of sin and puts on display the worst of humanity for all to see. And there's no denying it. The cross shines a light into the darkness and reveals an ugly truth that is so rock bottom, it can break and then transform our hearts. And then from the cross, we also see God's love as justice. 
as Jesus identifies with the poor, the marginalized, the exploited, the powerless, the accused, the guilty, the innocent, and dies a shameful death reserved for criminals and slaves. And in doing so, he makes a spectacle of the unjust political, legal, and religious systems that try to solve their problems by scapegoating and then eliminating those who do not have the power or status to defend themselves. Earlier I said that putting love first can get messy. How messy? Crucifixion messy. How messy is love? It's as messy as the cross. So what does Christ-like love look like? It, it looks like grace. And it looks like truth. And it looks like justice. And sometimes one facet is emphasized over the other. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. Think about when someone asks you for money. What does putting love first look like in that situation? Well, depending on the situation, it may look like grace. You give the money, no strings attached. It's an undeserved free gift. But sometimes it looks like truth and you have to say no to the request for money because saying yes would do more harm than good. And sometimes it looks like justice, where maybe you give some money, but you also work to repair the broken situation that has caused that person to need money in the first place. What does putting love first look like? It looks like grace. It looks like truth. And it looks like justice. And it also looks like wisdom. Because it takes a lot of wisdom to know which facet to emphasize and when to emphasize it. Isn't this one of the major challenges of parenting? Getting this balance right with our kids? Because our, our kids need to know they are loved unconditionally, need to know they are growing up in an environment and framework of grace. There is nothing they can ever do that would cause us to love them less. There's nothing they could ever do to kill our love for them. But they also need some truth. They need to know the truth about themselves, their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities for growth, their sins, how their behavior is impacting themselves and the people around them. And they also need justice sometimes. Not necessarily punishment, although sometimes they need that as well, but they also need us to come to their aid and to be their advocates and to intervene when they're being picked on or taken advantage of. And yes, sometimes they need us to intervene to stop them from mistreating their younger siblings who have less power and strength than they do. All of these are ways of loving our children for their benefit. And all of these are valid expressions of Christ-like love. Some people are better, or probably most people, let's say it that way, most of us are better at one of these than the other two. 
Some people just seem to naturally be more gracious and merciful and accepting of others. Now, others tend to excel in speaking the truth, telling it like it is in the spirit of love. But then there are others who can't help it. They must run toward a situation when they see someone being taken advantage of by another who has more strength or power. The same is true for churches and congregations. Churches tend to be better at one of these than the other. Some churches specialize in welcoming and accepting sinners, making room for the broken, no matter how messy or complicated their lives are. But then other churches have a reputation for speaking the truth in love. And still others are known for their tireless work for social, economic, racial, gender justice. And while we may all excel and even be drawn to one of these facets more than the others, our commitment to Christ-likeness, becoming more and more like Christ individually, but also as a church, compels us to grow in all three facets of God's love. And we do this by immersing ourselves in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. By staying close to him. Because it's his example and his spirit that shows us what love looks like. And he shows us what it looks like to put love first. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God of love, God who is love, we thank you for creating us, for loving us beyond all bounds, for your unending grace and mercy to us when we struggle, we fail, we stumble, for your truth that you speak to us to show us the right way to live, the path to walk, and for your justice, a justice we look forward to because we know it means you are going to someday make right all that has gone wrong in this world. We thank you for putting all of these together in Jesus who shows us how to live and how to love. It's in his name. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.